Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. And as we record this podcast on Monday, January 30th, Gus, the Gonzaga Bulldogs are the number one team in the country. Thank goodness the voters didn't mess this up. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon to everybody out there. I hope you're all smiling a big zag smile today as they are voted the number one team in the country. Thank you, AP voters and coaches voters. Welcome to the Screen the Screener podcast. We are fabricating this particular podcast on January 30th, 2017. We are honored, humbled, and thankful for all the listeners out there. Um, We hope to aid in your uh, commute to and fro. Thanks for plugging us in in the car. We hope to take your mind off of your uh, Super Bowl exotic bet. Uh, Don't get too obsessed with those, please. And we're also hoping that we are focusing your college basketball mind in the right direction at the right time because Selection Sunday, that's right, it is only about six weeks away, people. Get that into your brain. So ahoy out there, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. And guess what? We got a third wheel tonight, people. We got Dr. Tony along for the ride. What's up, Dr. Tony? What's up, guys? I'm glad to be back. I do have my Super Bowl boogie bet, Steve Bartkowski, for the coin flip. Ooh, a coin flip exotic bet. I like it, Dr. Tony. Very nice. Who doesn't Who doesn't like a few exotic bets along the way? Folks, this is the exciting time for us. We're headed into February. February puts us one month away from the time we love the most, March Madness. We got Dr. Tony here. Gus is here. Mike Randall. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's so exciting with everything going on right now in college basketball. And I did put out on Twitter, guys, this Wednesday, the apocalypse is upon us. 9 p.m. ESPN, the Baylor Bears are going to Kansas. And that was a nice little cute win at Kentucky, by the way. But they're going to have a different thing coming when Motley and crew come to town, Gus. I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, Mike Randall. How, like, are you just going to drop down and start doing push-ups on Wednesday? Like, I am so excited for you to be this excited about this game. Uh, th- I feel like this game has a very similar feel to the uh, uh, to the Gonzaga-St. Mary showdown. I mean, let's go. Yeah, can we just please not have Motley get two fouls in the first five minutes? Because the game will basically be over then. But that that's the key. We have a lot of big things in store for you. A ton of stuff today. We have some great guests coming up for you. So we're real, real excited. Fellas, you just ready for some news and notes? Please, let's go. Here we go. News and notes from the hardwood. All right, before we hit the games, we got a quick rundown of some big news that have happened in college basketball recently. So I'm just going to throw this out there with a little ping pong back and forth between Gus and Dr. Tony for a rapid reacts. Fellas, Indiana is really hurting. Uh, Just as OG Ananobi's season-ending knee injury occurred, the Hoosiers were in some trouble. They were worried because Colin Hartman's been out, of course, the whole year, the lone senior with knee surgery. And now, Gus, they learn James Blackman Jr. is out for, quote, an indefinite period of time with a lower leg injury sustained in the Michigan loss midweek. Gus, they got pounded by Northwestern at home, which is good in some other ways. What about the loss of James Blackman here? It's unfortunate that on the podcast the past couple of weeks, we've had to highlight injuries that are affecting teams negatively. Add this to the list. I mean, we've talked about horrible news with Mo Watson. Uh, we've talked about other teams trying to like balance their injury troubles. We've even talked about like indefinite suspensions by other players. So you just want to see these teams at the whole and be playing with their full complement of student athletes. And I got to tell you what. 
I picked Indiana preseason for the Final Four, and that pick looks absolutely disastrous, and it looks like a plane crashing down, calling for a mayday right now. You hope that Coach Crean can get this thing straightened out, find some new defined roles for different players off the bench. But if you're losing like a potential NBA guy like James Blackman Jr., if you lose your senior like Hartman, if you lose like a huge talent like OG, I don't know what else you need to like scream help for from Indiana. But I got to tell you right now, sometimes these situations create unique opportunities. So let's hope those unique opportunities are welcomed by the Hoosiers and they take advantage of those opportunities and find some solutions because this is looks like a borderline disaster. It does. I think you're being too hard on yourself by that final four pick, just as I'm not going to hold myself to the Creighton pick. Maurice Watson Jr. going out has eliminated Creighton from final four, you know, any chance of them making the final four. And Ananobi and Blackman and Hartman, all those guys being injured, Gus, I think you're being way too hard on yourself. But that certainly is going to hurt them. And, and, and no doubt Indiana is going to struggle in a Big Ten that already is starting to, to separate. Dr. Tony, why don't you weigh in on this one? Our loyal listener at Young Glow Dan Collin, I apologize I'm not saying that right, but he's a loyal listener, good friend of the program, sent this to Gus and suggested it was a fishy line perhaps. And I'll read what he wrote. Maryland, Dr. Tony, after the big win at Minnesota this weekend, they are 19-2, and they are 7-1 and in conference, and they are 8-0 and away from the Infinity Center. Tomorrow they go into Ohio State, and Dr. Tony, they're a two-and-a-half-point underdog. What do you think about that? Yes, I, I think that is a fishy line. They are undefeated on the road, uh, but they really haven't played many quality teams on the road. Their schedule is backloaded. They do go to Ohio State. They got Purdue at home. Tough one. Then they go back on the road at Penn State. Not tough one. Not to on the road, though. On the road. I'll tell you right now, guys. I think any road win is going to be difficult. You had said it last time about Rutgers. Remember, you were going over. Uh, this is true. You know, and then they come in, and then they Rutgers almost beat Wisconsin the other day. So, road win is a road win. Without question, it took Ethan Happ like thirty points plus and like a, a career defining day for them to win on the road at Rutgers. Like any road win in the Big Ten is going to be tough. You know, I love that, Gus. Go ahead, Doc Tony. I think the answer is uh, they will get their respect in the next two games. So, guys, basically, if you had to make a pick, I'm going Maryland tomorrow night on the road. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely going to take Maryland, and I'm going to take Merrill Tremble to make a couple free throws late to seal it up for the Terps. Go Big Sean. All right, moving on, guys. Next one is Louisville is banged up. Guard Tony Hicks was coming off the bench. He's out six to eight weeks with a broken hand. He joins Quentin Snyder, who's out of action. Snyder sprained his hip and has missed three games and should be out for at least another week. Gus, you worried about Louisville? Yeah, a little bit. I don't know if they can absorb these two injuries in the backcourt uh, back-to-back. I, I don't know if they can handle this. They, you know, they, were, they were able to, like, you know, pull together and, and, and rally against Pitt and totally blow them out of the water. Um, but that was kind of a get-back game for the, for the Cardinals. But I think without both Snyder and Hicks, I think it's going to be tough. I know Mitchell's playing out of his head right now and is playing at an all-ACC level, but I don't know if it's a sustainable situation for the Cardinals minus these two backcourt players. I think they're in some trouble, 
But then if you look on the other side, they're ranked six in the country. So how much trouble are they in? Are they going to be able to hold on to that that top 10 seeding? I'm not sure. Let's see how good of a coach Patino is, and let's see how good their bench is right now. That's what we can, that's what we can find out moving forward. And speaking of moving forward, Gus, uh, you got some thoughts for us on Coach K. He called the Duke team to his house. He told them that they are barred from the locker room. He's done that before. And he said they cannot wear clothing, Duke clothing, anywhere on campus. Gus, what are your thoughts on that? All right, listen, guys. Jump in at any time. Listeners, roll with this, please, okay? I have a lot of thoughts on this. So, all right, Coach K, you're going to remove the clothing? You're going to kick people out of the locker room? Okay, go for it. That sounds great. Why not spin this into a complete positive for your program? Locker room ban? Oh, how about this? How about everybody hits study hall together, regardless of their GPA? Like we've mentioned before on the pod, let's focus on the student part of the student athlete. How about that, since you can't go to the locker room? Or how about some community service? I'm sure there's a soup kitchen around. How about collecting some coats? How about just getting in the back room of the campus bookstore and doing some heavy lifting with all those boxes of Duke basketball jerseys and boxes for the other students and books for the other students? Why don't you spend the time, uh, the lost time from the locker room with some further purpose? So you're going to ban the gear next, right? No Duke basketball stuff, no Nike stuff. Okay. If you're going to go with a lame cliche move, fine. We get it. We understand. You want to display some control over like something you can't control. We get it. Fine. You're Coach K. Go for it. Why not? How about this? Why not make it impactful for the greater good and not just have it be like a selfish token move? Why don't you follow it up with some selflessness and use it as a broad, teachable moment for your student athletes? Because really at the core of it, that's what we're doing. That's what your job is, is to further these people as student athletes. So in place of the Duke gear, I don't know. How about we learn some from other mega student athletes? I don't know. Why don't you support Bronson Caney and support the pipeline standoff at Standing Rock? Oh, wait, that's not topical enough? All right. How about we support Nigel Hayes and the general financial support of student athletes? Remember that sign he had up for game day? If you're scared off by that and the rest of his fine ideals, okay, I understand. It's pretty heavy. How about we just go a general stand? How about we support Isaiah Brock from Oakland University and wear a simple like support our troops shirt or t-shirt for warm-ups or around campus? for a week. That should be pretty smooth. Coach K has good West Point connections, right? Okay, fine. You don't want to go there? How about you take a huge risk? You ready for this one? How about you make a stand on the HB2 and the current North Carolina law that scared away all the NBA all-stars? Still too political for you? Then why don't you just go low-key? How about some general ACC gear? Support the conference. Or how about you go totally radical Just go some tie-dye Jimmy V fundraiser gear for cancer research that's probably happening right there at Duke University. It's not hard to get this right for your team and for the greater good. The opportunity was there for you. You could have changed the message about Grayson Allen. You could have sent a message to your own team. You could have spread the message for the greater good and have Duke convey that powerful message. You know what I'm going to say? Opportunity lost. I got to tell you, I'm going to give you an ovation here, Gus. I think you're spot on. I, I think that that is totally spot on. We'll be back in kindergarten here. I know what he's trying to do. But honestly, from the Grayson Allen thing with only being one day, Gus, here, here, totally agree with you. I think it was fantastic. Well done. And listen, I'm not here to hold Coach K to any other standard than anybody else. We understand that. But Gus's point is well taken. 
the way to resolve this is to get them to appreciate what they have. And taking the uniform off, I don't know if that was substantial enough. Now, listen, they pulled out a win at Wake Forest. They pulled out a win tonight at Notre Dame. So maybe things are going in the right direction. But good call, Gus. Opportunity lost. Guys, why don't we hit some games on news and notes? You ready? Here we go. Uh, yeah, let's change the let's let's change the verbiage and concentrate on what's happening on the court. I'm totally with you, Mike Randall. Let's roll with it. Well, the first game, one of my favorite ones to watch is the great crosstown shootout. Number 19, Cincinnati at home, 86. Number 24, Xavier, 78. Fellas, this was the Trevon Blewett game. Trevon Blewett was the story of the first half. He had 26 points in the first half, and they opened up a 44 to 36 halftime lead over Cincinnati on the road. A lot of people wrote on Twitter and in articles that Cincinnati was going. It was loud. It's, this is always a huge rivalry. It's a great game. There's been a lot of great battles, one fight as well, over the last few years. Blewett sunk his first eight three-point attempts and went on to make nine of them, which was tying a school record. Uh, Gus, but how did Blewett do in the second half? You know what? The fact that they put up 44 points on Cincinnati in the first half at Cincinnati is unbelievable by itself. Blewett... He he pretty much pitched a perfect game. If you were paying attention to this, he he shot he he, he made his first ten shots. Uh, I think like seven or eight of those from three point land. I don't think he had a turnover, and I don't think he committed a personal foul either. I mean, we can go back and check the box score on these things, but I think he was pretty clean. But Cincinnati definitely geared up the second half, and they put the screws to Trayvon Blewett in the second half. He did not come out and have another 25 in the second half. I mean, he still shot it well, and he still competed really hard. And I love that we're going to call this the Trayvon Blewett game. I hope that they refer to this in the annals of, like, you know, uh, Xavier Cincinnati games uh, moving forward. But Cincinnati really showed the true Bearcat way by locking down on D in the second half on Blewett and making sure that he didn't single-handedly win this game, which he almost did. He, he did almost do it, and this was a huge win for Cincinnati. The fans of Cincinnati out there expect a big season. This is their year. They're, they have a great coach in Mick Cronin. The team is doing well. They're battling tough. The defense is there. So much balanced scoring. They expect big things. Other years, this may have been a loss, but not this year. They fought back, and they went over Xavier. Now, Xavier, of course, is suffering now that Edmund Summer, we heard today, is out oh. for the rest of the season. So Xavier right now hurting. Creighton right now hurting. The Big East is basically turned into Butler and Villanova battling it out. Edge to Villanova, of course. But Dr. Tony, what are your thoughts on the Musketeers and Cincinnati? Well, I, I do second your your top billing of this as a crosstown shootout. This is a very underrated rivalry. Always passionate, physical, great crowds. Sunday definitely brought some bad news for the Musketeers and Coach Mack besides the loss. They, they did lose besides the, the loss of the game. They lost Edmund Sumner. He's out for the season. It's a, it's a torn left ACL. He was averaging 15-5. and five. I mean, they're, they're going to have a tough time without him. But when you have a program like Xavier, underrated in their ability to restock and reload, who do they have waiting in the wings? Quentin Gooden. He's a freshman. He was the top high school player in the state of Kentucky last year. He'll take over at the point. He's big. He's athletic. He can handle the ball. He can rebound the ball. He was four of five from the field and seven of nine from the line on Sunday against St. John's. So, you know, I think they they will be motivated to continue. Now, in our preseason pod, I picked Edmund Summer as a as a third team All American and thought he was going to do big things. So I think it's a gigantic loss for Xavier. It's an unbelievable opportunity for Gooden and uh, Xavier moving forward. If you look at their resume. They don't have a ton of quality wins on there, and this was an opportunity for one of those quality wins to really bolster it, especially against a really strong Cincinnati team. 
they need to put together some tough Big East wins here. That's what they need to do next. They need to regroup, refocus, decide what they're going to do, define some different roles without uh, Sumner there. Uh, obviously, Blewett's going to take a, a large majority of those roles, uh, as he did again in this game in Cincinnati. But let's not ignore the game. The game was incredible. Blewett went bananas. And then Cincinnati had to pull a, uh, some tricks out of their hat to make sure that they won this on their home court. Um, this game definitely lived up to the billing. Underrated rivalry. This is one of the, what, top six, seven rivalries in all of college basketball. Um, but you wouldn't think of it right away if you were thing, saying, like, oh, what's the biggest rivalry? You go, oh, Duke, UNC, uh, USC, UCLA. Like, you probably wouldn't get to this right away. But you know what? This should be up there with, uh, with the best of them right in the top five. No doubt. And speaking of having some trouble, let's go to Syracuse 82, number 6, Florida State 72. This was a shocker. Now, Florida State, after that murderer's row of wins that we talked about, has lost back-to-back games on the road at Georgia Tech and now on the road at Syracuse in a game that really was not that competitive for most of it. Florida State made a late run. But they now have really struggled. And this is why we love college basketball, right? The things have really changed back and forth. First victory over ranked opponent for Syracuse this year. Andrew White III had 24 points, 9 rebounds. John Gillen put in 21, including 13 of 14 guys from the free throw line for the Orange. They may have turned a corner. Guys, is Syracuse going to make a run this year, Dr. Tony? I mean, how can you count out a late run by the Orange? Last year, at around this exact same point in the season, they were sub-500 in conference play. Then they hit a soft spot in their schedule. They went on a little run, kind of fooled us a bit. And then they lost five out of their last six. And they were one and done in the ACC tournament. And yet, still, they get a bid to the NCAA tournament, I believe, much to the chagrin of this group. And, and where do they end up? They end up in Houston at the Final Four. So you know, that's about as unpredictable and up and down of a season as you could possibly drum up. I mean, this team's a bit different, maybe with a few more question marks with their scoring, a bit less experienced. But, you know, if White and Leiden and Battle, and, and as Mike mentioned, you know, Gillen can keep getting better, I don't see why they can't make a run. This week will tell a lot. They're at NC State, they're home against Virginia, and then they're at Clemson. Gus, what gives a Florida State? You know what? They just leveled off. I think it's just a simple market correction here. I don't think there's anything else but that. Did you expect it to be two games? No. Uh, but I think that's all it is. I mean, and where are they right now in the rankings? Probably right where you thought they should be in the top 15, 16, 17 teams in the nation. Uh, sure. Did we trumpet them as like maybe a potential final four team, uh, after they ran through that gauntlet that you, that you ran down? Absolutely. But you know what this speaks to, too? That ACC, I mean, that is just, I mean, you cannot get an easy game there. I mean, you're going into Syracuse and you're going to play that zone and they have athletes and they have a couple things straightened out. Holy smokes, man. You cannot catch a break in that ACC. And and Dr. Tony ran down. They have to go to NC State, and then they have to play Virginia next? I mean, who wants to play Dennis Smith Jr. and then go to Virginia that just lost on a tip-in to the defending national championship? That's crazy. So I think it's just a market correction for Florida State. Are you going to lose your mind over it? No, absolutely not. Um, are they where they probably should be right now? Yeah. Are they going to pull another big win out? out of their hat the rest of the season absolutely but are they probably going to lose uh, a game they shouldn't lose along the way in the tough ACC yeah I bet that's going to happen again too but I bet that happens to a cast of characters in the ACC all right so speaking of the ACC and it just being tough to win games in the ACC number 14 Notre Dame proved that exact thing they lost on a last second run out to Georgia Tech 62-60 Mike Randall's Irish, 
still stinging from that Avatar bet loss to to Virginia. They fell to uh, to Georgia Tech, and I got to tell you, when he ran, when that guard ran out for that breakaway, I didn't know if he was going to make it. Were you like counting down the seconds in your head, like is he going to make it? Is he going to make it? Is he going to make it? And can we just applaud Josh Pashner? They could not force him out of Memphis fast enough. They got him out of Memphis so fast, they decided to pay part of his buyout so he could go take the job at Georgia Tech. And now he might be the ACC coach of the year. How crazy is that situation where a, a big-time program, um, Memphis, that you know had Calipari, had Penny Hardaway, um, chases a, a, a very successful coach out of town and pays for him to leave, and then he goes to another place and is upsetting people left and right. It's totally crazy. Um, and our buddy uh, at Gonzalabedia brought up on Twitter that Passner's name not only has to be included in ACC Coach of the Year talk, but how about National Coach of the Year talk? You know what? Georgia Tech is now 13-8, and eight, a pretty impressive 5-4 and four in conference after the back-to-back wins um, over Florida State and Notre Dame. And they shot it eh, a little better than you thought from the field and held the Irish to a very un-Irish-like 40% from the field. Um, Dr. Tony, what else did you see here? Well, when you take today's performance and and the performance of Georgia Tech and you, you look at Basturia, uh, five points against Tech, seven points tonight, one of nine from the field, zero for five from three-point range. When you're best players playing like that, you're going to hit some tough times. Mike Randall does not want to hear that Steve Astoria is hitting tough times. I'll tell you that right now. No, it's totally depressing. And I think, like you said last time, market correction, there's a market correction here. I think Notre Dame, they finally have pounded inside on Notre Dame. Georgia Tech out-rebound them by about 10 rebounds. They got killed on the boards tonight against Duke. That's their weakness. Their defense, which was good at the beginning of the year, is not good anymore. They're playing Ole defense. They only had three fouls, I think, or four fouls in the first half against Duke tonight because they're afraid to get in foul trouble, which is what I talked about last time. But Notre mm-hmm. Dame is in a slide, and they've shown some more here. The question is, are they going to respond? You know what? I think they'll respond because I think their, efficient, their efficiency on offense is going to help them do that. But i got to tell you, the size is the issue. They are going to get out-rebounded. They're going to get pushed around a little bit. What are they going to do to combat that? Are they going to go a little zone? Are they going to try to pack it in? Are they going to do something a little different? So there has to be a little adjustment on their part now, now that the ACC has adjusted to their efficient offense and said, like, hey, if we just D them up and body them up and out-rebound them on the defensive end, we can probably keep them in check. So I think that Notre Dame is due for another little tweak, and let's see if Mike Bray can bring up that tweak for the Irish moving forward. Well, guys, the matchup of the weekend, we knew what it was. And maybe the matchup of the year along with Kentucky-UCLA or Kentucky-UNC, this one was right up there. Number two, Kansas, 79, goes into number four, Kentucky, and beats them by six, 79-73. Storyline coming in, guys, was Kansas had nothing up front. Carlton Bragg has been suspended indefinitely. Kansas was coming off a 16-point loss at Press Virginia. Vegas even had the line here, guys, as Kentucky minus seven, the number two yeah. team in the country who has one loss on the entire season. Uh, or two, I'm sorry, two losses on the entire season, was getting seven points. Well, what happened? Here we go. Guys, at the 255 mark of the first half, the score was Kentucky by 11. At this point, Kansas was 0 of 7 from three-point range. They had one assist and seven turnovers. It looked as bad as it could get. 
from that point on, things changed a little. Devontae Graham hit a jump shot with about, like I said, under three minutes left, cut the lead to nine. Those were his first points of the entire game. Think about that for a second. 0 of 7 from three, one assist, seven turnovers, and Devontae Graham had no points at Kentucky, looked as bleak as possible. And then I got to give self credit. Bill Self outcoached John Calipari in this game. He what a great, great move. Unbelievable move. Unbelievable. They were playing Ole defense to start because they were worried about foul trouble. People driving at Frank Mason, his arms are wide open, just letting them go in because he can't get in foul trouble. So Self switched to a 2-3 zone. Brilliant move. Last three minutes, that changed the entire outcome of the game. Kentucky couldn't get good shots. Adebayo missed a ton of free throws. Mason was going 100 miles an hour and attacking after the missed shots. And then Little used junior Dwight Colby, who I think is going to have a lot more playing time coming up. Oh, yeah. Got some quality minutes off the bench. They had high hands, active hands. And the 11-point lead went to five and changed the entire course of this game. Gus, second half, two words. Josh Jackson. My man. Hey, uh, did you guys also – did you guys pick up on – I think he went triangle in two. Yep, triangle two, second half. I yep. think he threw a triangle and two in the second half on a couple of possessions to even confuse Kentucky even further. They had a really tough time with that zone defense because you know that they ran their man-man defense with their practice coming into those. And then when he went triangle and two, forget about it. They didn't even know what to do. They didn't know if they should run their man offense or their zone offense there. It's so That's, true. Yeah, that's so, right. Go ahead, Go ahead Doc Tony. I was just going to say that somewhere our friend Coach Majerus is smiling. Oh, Absolutely. Oh, you're darn right. Uh, the triangle and two work, guys. Kentucky made some shots. Briscoe and Willis started making some shots. Willis actually had a great game. I think he was 5 of 5 or 5 of 6 in three-point range. But Kentucky held a three-point lead with 14 minutes left, 47-44. And after that point, it was all Kansas. Landon Lucas did a great job. Mason was incredible. Josh Jackson was all over the place with the double-doubles. Kentucky battled, but their offense was just disjointed. De'Aaron Fox had a dunk with eight minutes left, and that was the last time Kentucky would lead. Then Kansas scored 11 consecutive points to go up 69-59 with four minutes left, and that was it. So are we all in agreement that Josh Jackson was the best player on the floor in this game? I don't know if he was the best player. I, I, I think him and or Mason were great. I will tell you okay. this. They were both better than any Kentucky player. I'll tell you that. Yes. And, and what I've really been impressed with, Josh Jackson had a little chip on his shoulder. You co- correctly called the beginning there. You were all over Josh Jackson. You were 100% right, Gus. They, he is vital. He's a winner. He wants to win. He doesn't care about his shots. He's taking on more rebounding responsibility now. He is versatile. He's an issue. And I think both him and Mason took over this game. But Jackson was very impressive. Um, and – you we we talked about like we kind of kidded about like Malik Monk seeing like a bigger rim or having like these reindeer optics where you can see like ultraviolet light he had one of the quietest 18 points that you'll ever see they made him work so hard for that 18 points um and you know what the other thing that stood out which I'm sure we all noticed was the poor free throw shooting from the line Kentucky uh, just under 60 percent uh Kansas even lower than that Moving forward, do you think this could be a problem or even an Achilles heel in a tight game in March for either one of these teams? I'm going to tell you right now, guys. I'm sorry. I'm going to tell you right now. I think it's going to be a problem on Wednesday because Mm -hmm. I think they're going to have to make free throws. They don't shoot free throws well. Baylor is not going to just let them come in and bomb threes. I think it's going to hurt them at some point, yes. And you know what? As much as we loved Josh Jackson, that's his biggest weakness as a player currently right now 
is at the free throw, free, free throw line. He shoots it great from deep. He shoots it great from the field. He's unbelievably active around the basket. But I tell you what, he's had a number of games where he, he's gone to the line and he's missed five or more free throws in a game. So that could come up big on Wednesday. You're totally right. And especially with him in a big moment, if it's not Jackson or Graham at the line. And I, I mean, that was a great win for Kansas, winning on the road in Kentucky. And guys, this is why I have so much promise for what could happen in March Madness this year. What Calipari has done with these freshmen is very impressive, but it is difficult to get players who just excel in fast break. I'm the best athlete on the floor in high school. I'm a street ball, dunk, run. I don't know the intricacies of help and recover. Out of bio guys came over to help a lot of times on Mason and Graham penetration, leaving Landon Lucas to clean up the weak side rebound. They are undisciplined. They are so talented. They are going to be first-round picks across the board. But they can struggle in March against a team with veteran leadership. That's what happened here. Mason, Graham, Jackson, who plays like he's a, a senior, that's what they don't know the intricacies. They know to run. They know to press. They know to alley-oop. Bam knows to come over and stop the alley-oop on the weak side, which he did very nicely. But they don't know how to help and recover and when to hedge. That's the stuff, which is why what Calipari's done is so amazing because he's been able to get those freshmen to meld in the past. So moving forward, speaking of March, this was one of the last opportunities that Kentucky had to get another signature win. They didn't get the signature win against UCLA. They lost to Tennessee, so they kind of needed this win to even that out. I think a one or two seed for them in March might have just slipped through their fingers with this loss. And they may be looking at something a little bit lower, like a three or a four seed moving forward, just because the slate of games that the SEC provides for Kentucky is not going to allow them high quality of wins that they're accustomed to, and that is going to bolster a number one or number two seed in March. Totally agree. I think the one seed's out for Kentucky from this game, no doubt, unless some crazy stuff happens. Guys, I, I have to, to get something off my chest here. So <laughs> I, I, need, I need a moment here for the listeners. I need to talk about Virginia. Let me give you a quick rundown of my thoughts on Virginia, and then okay. we can go back and, and, and see. They had a tough loss at Villanova, lost on a last-second tip-in by DiVincenzo. Di but I can't figure out Virginia, and I need your help. So let me go through it. This is okay. Tony Bennett's eighth season. He took over in 2009. Currently, he's 181-76, and 76, which is a 71% winning percentage in the ACC after taking over Virginia. Great job. Recap. He made the NCAAs in 2014. He was 28-6, 14-2 in conference. Regular season and ACC tournament champs they beat Duke. That was their coming out party, right? 2014. That team had Brogdon. They had Joe Harris. Remember him? Love Joe Harris. They had Parentis as a freshman. They blasted Coastal Carolina in the tournament. They blasted number eight Memphis by 18. And then they lost by two in the Sweet 16 to number four Michigan State. At the end of that, it was, here's Virginia. They're here to stay. The defense is always great. And now they have offense, right? NCAA's, exactly. Yeah, next year. NCAAs 2015. They were 30-4. and four, Better record. 16-2 and two in conference. ACC regular season champs. But they lost to UNC in the semifinal, 71-67 by four. They got a that was a great game. That was a great game, by the way. Tremendous Unbelievable game. game in the tournament. Absolutely. Number two seed in the tournament. They beat a tough Belmont team by 12. They lost again this time to Michigan State in the second round to the number seven seed, 60-54. That's the best offensive <coughs> team they've had in recent memory. Brogdon had nine points per game with the Milwaukee Bucks right now. Hashtag fear the deer. Justin Anderson is getting seven points per game with the Dallas Mavericks. Anthony Gill. 14-6 and six that year. Darian 
Atkins, London Prentice, Toby off the bench, senior leadership, but they couldn't get out of the second round. Okay? Last year, 29-8, and 13-5 in conference. They got another number one seed. Destroyed Hampton. They beat a tough Butler team by eight in the second round. They blitzed Iowa State in a contrast in styles by 13, a game that was never that close. Mm-hmm. And just when you think, guys, that Bennett's path to the Final Four is open, they can't solve the 10-seed Syracuse, 68-62. They were up 16 points, guys, in the second half. They gave up 47 second-half points to Malachi Richardson and the Syracuse Orangemen. This brings me to my point. This season, they have started 7-0. and Then they lose at home to West Virginia, which makes zero sense. That's the team they never lose to, the team that presses and doesn't have a great offense and takes quick shots, but they lose at home. So I'm a little down on Virginia. Then they went four in a row, including at Louisville, which is really West Virginia on steroids. They come back home again, and they lose to Florida State at home when Dwayne Bacon goes for 29, which, by the way, is his season high. So Dwayne Bacon's season high has been at Virginia. Again, I'm down on them. Now they've won four in a row, including a 17-point thrashing at Notre Dame, which burned me. And they almost beat the national def- the uh, defending champions, Villanova Wildcats, losing by two. The scoring, they're boring, they're slow, they're non-explosive on offensively at a time when the freedom of movement is being emphasized and fouls are being called all over the place. Parentis is 12 points per game. Canadian junior guard Mariel Shayak, he's at 10 points per game by his chinny-chin-chin at 10.0. Junior guard Devin Hall is 8.2. Freshman Kyle Guy is 8.2. Darius Thompson, 7.2. And Wilkins, 6.8. They are not exciting on offense. They don't have as much talent as the last few years. But guys, what are your thoughts? Is What is the real West Virginia? Is this the year they make to the Final Four? Or are we just getting worked up for another March letdown? I'll definitely go first here. Look, it's very simple. Coach Bennett has done the impossible. He has constructed a culture at UVA that can now go head-to-head with Duke and UNC every single season in the ACC. He's done pretty much the unthinkable. He's done what other teams in that conference have wished they had figured out at some point during the past 25 years, and he's done it the last four. So you just listed all of his accomplishments and then kind of letdowns in March, But I think we can look at them through a different lens. And I think we can say, wait, they were regular season champs? Wait, they were ACC tournament champs? Wait, they had a number one seed in March? Yes, yes, and yes, the past three seasons. That's unbelievable, competing against UNC and Duke every season. Here's the real thing about Virginia. You know what they're going to do? The same thing they've done the last couple of years. They're probably going to be very matchup dependent in March. If they have a team that is uh, an odd style that uh, doesn't bode well for their like uncomfortable slowdown offensive pace, then it's going to be an issue. If they have something that's like an oddball, like the Syracuse zone, or like a player like Malachi Richardson that goes bananas, and that one game makes him literally millions of dollars in the lottery, then it's going to be an issue. But you know what? I'm going to say right now, put him in the Sweet 16. Right now, regardless of seed, regardless of matchup, put them in the Sweet 16. They are playing at such a high level right now. They lost on the road to a tip-in against the defending national champions with three returning starters. Put them in the final. Put them in the Sweet 16. I'm good with uh, Virginia being unbelievably Sweet 16 every single year. Put them in. I say we applaud that. And you know what? They just might pull out this ACC victory uh, for the 
season t- uh, for the season championship because it's so gosh darn crazy this season in the ACC. So Mike Randall, what am I saying? I'm saying they're going to be in the running for the for the season championship. I'm saying lock them up for the Sweet 16, regardless of seed. UVA, shoot the ball, London. Let's go. Dr. Tony, your mic. You know, I think the real Virginia, it depends on how much you think you learned about them during this Nova game. You know, did they blow a lead? Yeah. You know, but let's look. Nova was 20 of 24 from the line. Virginia was 3 of 3 from the line. You know, so there were some confounding factors there for sure being on the road. Is London Perantis a guy you want on your side come March? Yes, absolutely. But, you know, I don't know that he's the guy you want when you're matched up against a team that has a better guy. If I had to put my money where my mouth is, I'd say that I disagree with Gus, and I think we are set up for a disappointing March again. Not to say they won't do well in the ACC and in the ACC tournament, but I do think that they are matchup dependent, and they had three tough matchups the past three years, and I, I anticipate them getting another tough matchup. All right, here, I'm going to do something really quick, guys. Okay, this is spare of the moment. All the listeners, you can contact us on Twitter at SDS Podcast. You can contact us on email, SDSPodcast at gmail.com. You can contact Gus at CCurrents12, myself at Fantasy FTSY Warrior Mike. This is what I'm going to do. I want you guys to respond to us and tell me which one of these arguments is stronger. Ready? Gus, let me do your side, and then you jump in and tell me if I'm right on. Ready? Here we okay. go. 30 yes. seconds. No more. Guys, it's Virginia. Bennett's had sustained excellence over many, many years. Sure, the team doesn't have the firepower of the Brogdon and the Joe Harris. It doesn't matter. They're so good at what they do. Their floor is so high. They're going to be a tough out. They're a contrast in styles. They're led by a senior point guard. Everyone scores seven to eight points, which speaks to their versatility. No one rebounds like they do, and they make you play their style. That's why they're going to be tough, and that's why they're going to go to the Final Four this year. What do you think, Gus? Sounds good. Maybe I'll take you down a notch, maybe uh, Elite Eight or Sweet 16. Okay. Dr. Tony, here we go. We've seen this script before. We've seen this. They've been 30-6. and six. They've been a one seed. Then they couldn't beat Michigan State. Then they can't solve the zone. What's it going to be this year? I don't know. But I know that Shayok and Devin Hall and Isaiah Wilkins and all those guys scoring six points a game just isn't going to cut it. Eventually, somebody's going to hold Parentis to two. And when that happens, this team's not going to score. I'm sorry. I know TJ Guy's really fired up about making some threes, but that's not going to cut it in March. Plus the tough whistle. They want freedom of motion. Dr. Tony, we're set up again for another disappointing Virginia March. What do you think? Bingo. You're like Kreskin. Here we go. Contact the show, folks, on Twitter. Contact the show on Gmail. Let us know which one you support. Are you pro-Virginia? You're anti-Virginia. I'll put a Twitter poll out, and we'll, we'll fire this up. I can't figure out Virginia, guys. The only other option right now, let's go on Broadway. On Broadway. Gus, I need some water. You take over. <laughs> All right. Sounds great, Mike Randall. Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited that you're so fired up about Virginia. Oh, man. That is just great news. Down screen, hey. back screen, slow it down. <laughs> back it out. Back it out, London. Back it back out. Reset the offense. Um, number 22, Maryland, is going to go to Ohio State. Um, America has yet to buy into Maryland. But you know what? We have here at Screen the Screener. And why not? Merrill Tremble is single-handedly leading this team to the NCAA tournament by himself. He Listen to these numbers. 17.1 points per game, 3.8 rebounds, 3.4 assists, 1.2 steals. And this team was left for dead at the beginning of the Big Ten season. And guess what? They're 19-2. They're 7-1 in conference. They're tied 
for the lead in the Big Ten. Cheers to Mello. You know what? He's getting a little hand, too. Freshman forward Justin Jackson had a huge 28-point performance on the road in mini, which we said would be a really tough spot for them, and is second on the team with 11 points per game and six rebounds per game. Fellow freshman Anthony Cowan is a gritty, tough little guard, 10 points a game, four rebounds a game, three and a half assists a game. He's sharing some of the ball handling duties with Mello. And one of Mike Randall's new favorite players, another freshman, 6'7", three-point machine, Kevin Herter. Love him. Absolutely love him. The guy is devastating. My wife is not feeling well yesterday. I made her get out of bed, true story, walk to the television, and watch Mellow Trimble <laughs> set up Kevin Herter for a three-pointer with three minutes left to go in the game. And I said, how good is Trimble, and how, the, the, how is this kid a good score? She gets out of bed. She goes, he looks like Howdy Doody. And she gets up and she goes back to bed. So long story short. It's Mellow Tremble and a bunch of guys that look like Howdy Doody, and they're leading the Big Ten right now. Man, Merrill Tremble is good. If he is not in the top ten conversation for player of the year, I don't know who else you're including there. The guy's unbelievable. I think we can even put him kind of in the argument, maybe not in the same argument, but I think we can include him in the conversation for Big Ten player of the year with Caleb Swanigan and Ethan Happ. He has to be. I'm so impressed with Maryland. Dr. Tony, do you got any take on these Terps and and, uh, and Mellow Tremble? I think you look at his numbers and you look at where they are this season and you can't help but think back and see a little bit of Juan Dixon there. Oh, great one. Great wow. comparison. Ooh, that's high praise right there. I mean, that's national championship high praise right there. That's unbelievable. Um well done, Dr. Tony. Wow, I didn't see that coming at all. Uh, you know what we need to pay attention to? We need to pay attention to the grind. The grind that is the Big East. Um, we got Creighton going into Butler, into Hinkle. Can Butler bounce back from the bad home loss to Georgetown? Can Creighton keep things straightened out after a nice win over DePaul? Regardless of opponent, it's nice to get a win when you have your lead point guard injured and you're trying to figure things out. I have no idea which which way I'd like to lean here, but I'll tell you right now. Both teams can use the game for different reasons. Creighton can use the game to make it straight and make a statement to the to the country, to the nation, to the Big East. Hey, we're still legit. We're going to beat a big team on their home floor. And Butler can use the game to get themselves straightened out and stay in the race for the Big East regular season title. I'm going to tell you right now, guys, we have a new sound we're going to add in to the Screen the Screener podcast. It's when somebody is coming on the road against a team that is just ready to rip them up. And here it is right now. That's right. Okay. Creighton's coming in, and they're going to get shellacked by Butler. I watched that DePaul game. DePaul hung around in that game, by the way, at Creighton. Butler's mad. They lost at home. They know now Creighton's hurt. Xavier's hurt. Here's their opportunity. Buzzsaw coming in. Give 20. I'm going to tell you right now, I am in 100% agreement with you. I think Butler is, I mean, even with their low uh, pace of play, I think they're going to put up some numbers, and I think they're going to figure it out. And I think that Creighton is still going to play this like unbelievable balancing act. Do they want to play slow? Do they want to play fast without Mo Watson Jr.? I think this is going to be another figure-it-out game. And if you're trying to figure it out against a top-15 team in the country, yeah, good luck with that. 
speaking of top 15 teams in the country, um, we've got Florida State traveling down to Miami. Um, interstate rival, maybe not on the level of uh, Cincinnati and Xavier, but still worth uh, mention and still worth ACC attention. Florida State has definitely come back to earth a little bit, a little market correction, like we said. Miami comes off the big win um, that they needed badly against UNC. Uh, take this as an under-the-radar game, and both teams are going to defend at a very high level. The backcourt matchup is going to be nasty and also underrated. Here's the key, and we've talked about him before, and we compared him to NBA MVP Kevin Durant. I'm not sure if anybody on Miami can match up with Jonathan Isaac. Really not sure. He's going to be the difference maker in this game. He stays out of foul trouble and has a big game. I think Florida State takes it. But I think it's going to be a coin flip game. If I had to lean one way or the other, I'm going to take Jonathan Isaac as the best player on the floor and take Florida State. Yeah, I, I think Florida State's going to bounce back. I think they're too good to lose three in a row on the road. Remember I said if they went 2-1, and one, they'd sign for it right now. Now, yeah, they're begging, yeah. now they're begging for 1-2. and two. They're staying in state. This isn't a big travel. Miami's been up and down. Florida State loses this game. They are in some trouble. But I think they bounce back here and take Miami. Speaking of interstate travel, Virginia Tech is going to travel across the Commonwealth, and they are going to go visit UVA of uh, you, uh, the Cavaliers. of every. We want to know everybody's opinion on the Cavaliers, so please don't forget to get in touch with us on whether you feel like they're going to be, oh, Sweet 16 or Elite 8 bound, or they're going to be upset early. Shoot the ball, London! UVA is coming off the crushing tip-in loss against Nova, and Buzz just got his 200th win at Virginia Tech. Yeah, kudos, Buzz. That's nice work down there, man. The low possession game is going to create less opportunities for Tech's multiple scoring options off the bench. This is something to pay attention to. I think this is like a little trap that Virginia Tech's going to fall for, and they're going to fall into. Because Virginia plays at this very unbelievably uncomfortable pedestrian pace, that is not going to allow all of Virginia Tech's scoring options to get as many opportunities as, as they're accustomed to. Will Tech be able to dig out in the second half and speed UVA up? I'm not sure. And you know what? I don't think so. I'm going to ride the Cav wagon here. I'm going to go with the Cavs. I would say Cavs. Uh, It's a tough one uh, for Virginia Tech. I know Virginia's been a little spotty at home, but they're clicking right now. As Dr. Tony said, they almost pulled out that game Villanova. I think the Cavaliers take it. I I agree. I agree. My March opinion of them aside, they're coming back home to John Paul Jones. They'll do They'll, they will have the friendly home crowd behind them to take some of the sting out of the loss to, to Villanova. I think this is in their wheelhouse. Speaking of wheelhouse, if you remember a couple podcasts back, Dr. Tony set everybody up for a date night. That's right. <laughs> this date night is an under-the-radar game. Dayton is going to travel to Fordham and the historic Rose Hill Gym in the Bronx. Saying it right off the bat. This game is going to be closer than a 10-point line. The Flyers are fighting like heck to win this A-10 title um, with major injury hurdles along the way. It's 9 p.m. at Rose Gym. That's the place to be. Dr. Tony, what do you got for us, man? I, I will be there with bells on. I don't know if my wife's coming, but I'll be there. Yes! Oh, that's tremendous. Uh, on location. Take some Twitter pictures. Send it to us. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how Dayton uh, rebounds from the loss to VCU. I got a chance to watch that game on Friday night. I emphasize rebound because that's why they lost. They outshot VCU. They outshot them from three, but they got almost doubled up on the boards. VCU had 18 offensive rebounds. Ouch. So 
Uh, they'll have to do a better job than that, you know, even against Fordham is running in the bottom of the table. You know, I, I put I put that out on, on Twitter. I, I picked VCU. Gus and I were texting about it. It was hard to figure out. And I said i take VCU minus, was it, four and a half? Mm-hmm. Guys, that's that's. did it win? Yes, it technically won. That is not a win. When we do these lines and we pick them, no one wants to be sitting there praying that they make or miss a free throw with five seconds left in order to cover the spread. To me, you already lost that game. That was a great game, though, Dr. Tony. Good one there. Dayton at 9 p.m. start at VCU. That's about as tough as it's going to be. And they were hung, they hung around there. That showed me something about Dayton. You guys know I like Dayton. I think we all like Dayton here in March. That was a very competitive game in a tough spot. Hey, you know what one of the biggies is on Wednesday? It's going to be that number 25. That's right. You heard me. Let that number sink into your head a little bit. Number 25. 25. 25 ranked. Northwestern travels to number 23, Purdue. You know what? Doesn't this feel a little bit like when Minnesota snuck into the rankings at like number 24 about uh, three or four weeks back? I think it feels a little different. Doesn't it feel a little different to you guys? Doesn't it feel different that Northwestern's in the rankings as opposed to Minnesota? I think the question here is, do they have anybody that's going to hold down Biggie Swanigan, the leader in the clubhouse for the Big Ten Player of the Year? I'm not so sure. Um, If they grab this one, the discussion is over for in or out for Northwestern. It's 100% flips to, ready for this? Listeners, are you ready for this? Can they win the Big Ten outright? Nuts. Just nuts. That's where the conversation flips to now if they win this game versus Purdue. Kudos to Coach Collins. Kudos to Northwestern. I can't believe I just said that. I don't even know what to say after this. Uh, guys, Big Ten standings right now: Maryland seven and one, Wisconsin seven and one, Northwestern tied for second. Well, second place really tied, third place, uh, but technically, but the second team at seven and two. Purdue six and three, Michigan State five and four, and then Indiana, Michigan, and Iowa all at four and five. It's possible Northwestern could win the Big Ten. They're doing a great job. I'm still not buying Purdue, guys. I'm buying Biggie Swanigan as a top five NBA pick. That I'm buying. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just Carson Edwards, Vince Edwards, too many Edwards. I have no idea. I'm just not buying that they're really battle-tested. Maybe that Arkansas Little Rock loss still stings in my head, but I'm rooting for Northwestern, guys. We want to see them in tournament. Okay. Ready, guys? I have a three-game package here. You guys ready for this? I need, I need a winner out of everybody out of all three of these games. You ready to go? Yeah, let's do it. Because this threefer right here is a threefer loser leaves town. The loser of all three of these games is probably going to be on the outside looking in during March and not in a position that you want to be in. All right, ready? Here we go. Under the radar, loser leave town's threefer. Here we go. UCF is going into Houston in the AAC. You remember what happened the last time we had a loser leaves town match? We, we, we classified Pitt and NC State as a loser leaves town match. And think about the ramifications of that. Yep. Pitt goes on to lose by 50, and NC State goes into Duke and wins at Duke. Yep. So who you got here? Do we have Taco Falls, Johnny Dawkins, and UCF, or do we have uh, Houston at Guy V. Lewis Arena? Uh, you know, I'm going to go with Guy V, uh, and I'm going to take Houston. I'm going to take the home team. 
Love Taco. Love what Dawkins is doing. Houston six and four in conference. Central Florida's five and four. Something's got to give. I'll take the Cougars. Doctor Tony. Cougars. I'm going to go Cougars as well. I'm taking the home team. But if you have not watched Taco Fall play yet, please do. The guy is an unbelievable trip to watch. He is a force. He is very unique. He's one of the most unique players in, the, in, in NCAA basketball going. Okay, second loser leaves town match. It's a little hometown for us. Ready? Seton Hall goes to Xavier down Edmund Sumner. I hate talking about this, but another awful injury. Sumner was was dealing with the banged-up shoulder, and now he has the awful knee injury. You know what? All you hope for the kid, is, for the student-athlete, is that he, he heals up. You know, he's tough. He's super coachable. He's a humble kid. He's a good teammate. It just sucks that, like, something like that happens. Um, X is in it deep here. they got to figure this thing out. Yes, Blewett went for 40-plus. He almost played a perfect game last time out. Um, but having no Sumner is like having no Mo Watson light, if you want to call it that. This is a pivotal game for both pro- programs. Um, all right, who do we got here? Who's going to leave town, Seton Hall or Xavier? The talent for me says Seton Hall because Xavier's very banged up, and Seton Hall has a lot of talent. I am going to vote Xavier because I have no faith in Kevin Willard. Guys, what has Kevin Willard done at Seton Hall? 13 and 17, 21 13, 15 and 18, 17 and 17, 16 and 15. Last year, great year. This year, 13 and 7 in a team that should be a heck of a lot better than it is. I'm not a Kevin Willer guy. I'm a huge fan of the town on Seton Hall. I think they're going to rally around losing Sumner and they're going to beat the Pirates. And it's going to upset me because I'm rooting for them. I'm just not a Kevin Willard guy. You know what? The only thing that Kevin Willard has brought to the table has been that Big East tournament title last year. Um, besides that, I think he's been very pedestrian. Dr. Tony, who do you got in the loser leave town match? Oh, I think this is an easy one. I, I've, got, I've got Xavier. You know what, guys? I'm going to go a little off the radar. I'm going to say Seton Hall. I think Seton Hall is going to bring it hard. I think their guards are going to drive it really hard. I think Xavier gets in foul trouble. And I think Seton Hall makes a couple of late baskets and pulls it out late. Last of the three for loser leaves town. And this is kind of right up Mike Randall's alley. We got TCU going to Kansas State. The stakes could not be higher. Both programs have benchmark wins and are building their March resume. Both teams are top 40-ish Ken Palm teams. The one thing I'm going to focus on here, I'm going to focus on the Wesley Anua and Kendrick Williams matchup. Both players should find a spot on the second or third team all Big 12. The winner of this student-athlete showdown is going to win this game. I love Kendrick Williams, so I'm going to go with Kansas State. What says you in the last loser leaves town match? I'm going to take the home team, Kansas State. I'm going to take Bruce Weber. They found a way to play big most of the year. They're coming off two consecutive losses, but I think they right the ship here, which is tough for TCU. They have three losses. They lost at home to Baylor. They lost at Oak State, and they lost at home to Auburn. I think this is going to be loss number four. Jamie Dixon's doing a great job. It's just his first year there. I'll take Kansas State. Dr. Tony? I'll take TCU. I I agree. I think Jamie Dixon is doing a great job. TCU. Dr. Tony going out a little bit on a limb there. I like that you're isolated on the TCU island. All right, Mike Randall, is there anything that you need to go off of for your Baylor Bears visiting the Kansas Jayhawks moving forward? I can't wait for this game, guys. Baylor is ready. They're ready to take Kansas. I feel like the dominoes have fallen over the last couple weeks with Carlton Bragg not being there, the, de- the lack of depth up front. 
This is a gritty Baylor team. They have only lost once. Gus, don't look now. They are number two in the country. They are right behind Gonzaga right now. They got some first-place votes because they had a tougher schedule, which they should not. Gonzaga should be number one. No discussion. I think Baylor's going into Kansas and winning this game. I think they slow it down. I think they make Kansas play deliberate. Motley, Jolo, the big guards who are going to give some trouble to Mason and Graham. Josh Jackson is the X factor. He's going to be a major, major issue to stop. Matter's got to make some shots. Guys, I think Baylor's going into Kansas and winning, and I know I'm on a limb on this one, but we're getting back into that frat house because <laughs> you're losing at St. Mary's. We'll get to that <laughs> in a couple of days. But uh, Baylor's going in. I think they're going to win. I'm rooting hard for him, and I think Kansas had a great win at Kentucky, but I'll take Baylor. So I'm just looking forward to the Josh Jackson, Jonathan Motley matchup. I hope those guys are on each other the entire game. I can't wait to watch that athlete on athlete, uh, you know, potential first round pick versus potential first round pick matchup. Here is going to be the key player. If our guy, Manu LeCompte, plays decent and doesn't just get like manhandled by Mason and Graham, I think Baylor has a chance. He's got to hold his own against that top shelf backcourt. If he does, Baylor will have a shot. If he does not and he gets totally dominated, Baylor has no has no chance. And uh, I think that's going to be the pivotal matchup uh, in this particular game. And really, Dr. Tony? Uh, sorry, Dr. Tony, one quick thing before you go. And one thing, guys, if they go zone, Baylor will eat it up with the offensive boards. If they get into foul trouble and he goes offensive boards, Motley – and he goes zone. Motley, Jolo, all those guys, they'll get offensive boards all over the place. That's why I think they're in trouble. I think this is a tricky game. They can't afford to go man because of foul trouble. But if they go zone, I think Baylor eats it up. I will take Kansas, and I will give any points. Wow. God. Head to head with Mike Randall. I like it. I mean, can I get 15? No, you can't. Okay. All <laughs> all right, gentlemen. We need to end this the right way. Thankfully, number one, Gonzaga, is ranked properly by the AP voters. So please, everyone, take a short moment and look at the lovely symmetry of the rankings this particular week. We have Gonzaga at top. We have Northwestern rounding out at 25. Your rankings could not be any more beautiful. They are lovely. It is fantastic. Gonzaga is our new number one. Uh, with number 25, Northwestern, closing it out. Cue the music at Alpha Undefeated Pie. I'll tell you right now, I got next on the ping pong table versus Wes Matthews. Chef Karnowski is still sweating over that grill, and he's moving on from his omelets, and he's moving on to a slimmer grilled chicken with avocados. Underrated on the grill. Bon appetit, big shem. Hey, Coach Few just cast out with some live bait, not a lure, out in the pond out back. You know what we're going to say? Give us more weekend. But really, what we want is one more weekend at number one. And here's the reason why. If you are an NCAA vagabond junkie like ourselves, then you have checked out at John Gassaway's note earlier this season. He penned an article for ABC News, and in the article, he correctly predicted when the last six undefeated teams would lose this season. Let's give it a little rundown, shall we? Number one, he predicted Nova would lose at Butler. Check. Thanks, Baldwin. Played like a man that game. Number two, he predicted UCLA would lose at Oregon. Thanks, Dylan Brooks, in that last second three. Number three, unfortunately for Mike Randall, he predicted that Baylor would lose at West Virginia. Check. Really sorry about that one, Mike. Number four, he predicted correctly that Creighton would lose at Nova. No real shame here. Number five, 
if you remember correctly, USC was one of those last undefeated teams, and he predicted again that he they would lose at Oregon. That's two undefeated teams they took down. Check. Thanks again, Dylan Brooks. And unfortunately, our darlings, Gonzaga, John Gassaway says this Thursday at BYU will be their first loss. Here's hoping he just goes five for five. We here at Screen the Screener are rooting otherwise and hope that his future telling is just off a bit. Tune in Thursday, folks. Gonzaga will be playing its first game as the number one ranked team in the country this year. Let's celebrate. Big Shem versus Micah will be the matchup to, show, uh, to pay attention to. It's going to be awesome. Hashtag West Coast Bigs. So excited they're going to play a game as the number one ranked team in the country. Gentlemen, thanks for giving me some Gonzaga time there. I totally appreciate it. Listeners, I appreciate your patience as well. Thank you. Guys, we got some big things in store, some big interviews coming up on Thursday. Uh, during the podcast, we will play an interview with Middle Tennessee State University Blue Raiders head coach Kermit Davis. 8-0 in conference for Middle Tennessee State. They're rolling massive. One of the greatest upsets in tournament history last year, 15 seed over number 2 seed Michigan State. We will have that interview for you on Thursday. Fellas, heck of a job here. Solid podcast, a lot of information. Dr. Tony, always a pleasure when we have you here on the Screen Screener podcast. Always good to give my two cents. Thanks, guys. I hear Bell Jar coming in, which means we're going out. Folks, rate us. iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Twitter. Subscribe on YouTube. Screen the Screener podcast. 